Welcome to another episode of Addicted to MRR. Today we have Andy Fletcher of Convertry.com. How's it going, Andy? Hey, Travis. Thanks so much for having me today. It's really good. Thank you. Yeah. They, so, you know, Convertry is is a pretty cool product in a pretty saturated space. Why don't you kind of give us the, you know, the elevator pitch about what it is, what it does, and what makes it unique? Yeah, certainly. So Convertry is the fastest landing page builder and fastest funnel builder even on the market. Yeah, we're competing with guys like Lead Pages, Instapage, ClickFunnels, and uh, we, we're just we're winning in sort of three key areas. The first one is just our freeform editor is better than anything else out there. It's just so much quicker to build pages with it. Uh, our page speed that the app produces, like we are second to none. Like we keep doing these live challenges where we get people to send us their landing pages, and then we we use the page importer to like bring it into Convertry and then show them how much faster it is. Uh, and they're just blown away every time. And then we're the, we're the only guys on the market who have a, a working page importer. So you can just come over to Convertry from any service. It won't be absolutely perfect. You will have to do like a little bit of work uh, to get it set up. But like 90% of the import will just be done by our automation. So it, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, the page importer was definitely something I had never seen before in the space. Uh, how hard of a technical challenge was that to create? And how much of an advantage does that give you in the marketplace? It was hard. It was really hard. Uh, we, like we had bets in the office on whether it was even going to be possible, like that level of hard. And uh, like the, the developer that did it, like it, th- th- this was his first like big win on his own. Like he's he's one of our senior developers. A lot of his like biggest pieces of work previously on the app were things that like he'd done all the work on, but it was kind of, I had told him how to do it. I had out, like outlined the approach to take. This was the first thing where it was like, no, Andy, I'm going to build this. I know how to do it. I can make it work. And he came back with a working prototype and absolutely blew my mind. Uh, I was so proud of the guy. Yeah, it's definitely a, a pretty cool feature. Like I said, I'd never seen it before. So that's that's pretty incredible. Um, <laughs> so to give people an idea of kind of where you're at in your business, what is your current MRR and how long have you been accepting customers? Sure. So uh, we're the company's just over three years old. We've been accepting customers for sort of just under three years. We launched uh, July 20, umpty bumpt, uh, 15, whatever makes it three years ago. I could do maths. And our current MRR, we're, we're a bit over 50K. Uh, depends how you splice it. We're quite, we're nearer 60 if you include like monthly annual stuff. We're nearer 50 if it's just MRR you're talking about, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does a little bit. So let's kind of walk through, you know, 50K MRR, that's nothing to sneeze at, that's for sure. I'm assuming that you're profitable at this point. Uh, we are and we're not. So we basically, the way we run our financial structure is we, um, I'll talk a little bit in a minute about our like very affiliate driven funnel and some of the more one-time sales we make. But basically anything that looks or smells like recurring is the money we use to grow the business in line with the recurring. So as that as that MRR goes up, we hire new members of staff, we run more ads, we do more. So we're not profitable, but it's by choice. Like I, at any time, I can stop doing a bunch of it um, and have some money. Uh, but that's how we're like how we kind of keep that in line with the growth because we're bootstrapped. We don't have we don't have the luxury of funding, so it's not like we can just spend a load more money than we have. We have to have it. So we make sure we have it by spending in line with that MRR growth. Sure. So you sort of subscribe to the Jeff Bezos model of keep spending in line with what you make and keep growing the business. Yes, yeah, certainly at this point, like I'm, I, I don't think I'm, a, I don't know as I'm Jeff Bezos, like all the way, like, I'm not sure I get to like, you know, as huge as Amazon. And I would still be like, we're going to keep growing. I think by that point, I'd have bottled it and started taking a profit. 
<laughs> but uh, you know that that's the model. In fairness, they are like one good holiday sale away from having more than fifty percent of all e-commerce. But uh, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, it's amazing. So to give us an idea of kind of your customer size, I'm looking at your your pricing page right now. It looks like you essentially have three plans, and you advertise them on a monthly or a, a monthly rate billed annually. So I'm looking at you know fifty three dollars a month billed annually, fifty eight dollars a month billed annually, one sixty six a month billed annually is your current pricing. I would assume that probably the bulk of your customers go for that middle plan. Is that kind of correct? Yeah, massively. Yeah, like what percentage would you say would be accurate um, that are on that middle plan? It's about two to one standard to pro and. Occasionally, somebody buys the agency. Sure, that makes sense. Because I was looking at the pricing, you know, that the plans being standard is the cheapest, pro is the middle, and agency is the higher end. With that price point being so similar between standard and pro, I'm even surprised that it's only two to one. To be honest, yeah. You- t- tell me about it. It was <laughs> this was a marketing experiment gone wrong that we're we're just stuck with at the moment. So um, our background is we've we've sold a lot of one-time price products. Like I sold like my, my first company, we sold about a million bucks of WordPress plugins. And one of the easiest ways to to shift it was to have that kind of price differential. Like at the time, it was like twenty seven dollars for for a one site license, thirty seven dollars for an unlimited site license. And everyone was like, oh my goodness, totally got to take the 37. And it was that like, it helped conversions in that way. But it's like, it's not like anyone ever bought the $27 one. So the whole 59.69 with the pro pro and standard version, we assumed would work the same way. And it so hasn't. And we've got this two to one ratio and it's it's just not ideal. It seems kind of like an inverse of the old Sears pricing strategy where they used to have two microwaves i don't know if you know the story sears used to only carry two microwaves there was a cheap one and an inexpensive one at the time and almost no one bought the expensive one and so instead they brought in a third microwave that was like more than double the price of the previous expensive one and what now was the middle microwave used to be the top one went from like one percent of sales to like 80 percent of sales because it was all in comparison to the pricing around it yeah, nice. Yeah, that, that's pretty much exactly uh, exactly what we used to do. We used to do like 27, 37, 97. And the the 97 was sort of the agency versions or a fairly equivalent setup. And then you've got like a very specific class of person that takes the, the top one that was, that was like 10, 15, 20% of people back then. Then nobody took the bottom one and everyone took the middle. And that that's what we were expecting to see uh, with Convertry. And it just didn't happen. And we're still sort of like, which we're trying to take advantage of it as much as I can, roll with the punches. Uh, so we we use the the standard offer as part of like the affiliate funnel a lot. So we discount that a bit and like try some different variations with it. Sure. I mean, you know, trial by fire is kind of how most people try to figure out their subscription pricing, right? So <laughs> it's yeah, uh, like nobody knows what they're doing with this stuff, right? Yeah. Pricing is one of those tricky things that I don't think anyone really truly knows with with any actual real high degree of confidence. You know, we're all kind of, it feels like a lot of people are just kind of guessing based on what other products in the marketplace exist and trying to do some rough calculation on what it costs to actually deliver those products. But it's really hard to get behind the psychology of of your audience when you're when you're t- making that initial decision. Right, right, and particularly with SaaS, where you say it's like you know it's it's like how much it costs to deliver it, and like the the cost of like the incremental user even is is very very little to us, except with a few things like the page importer is quite expensive. Uh, but most stuff like the individual users, uh, 
doesn't cost much but then you're like you're staffing support and you're paying developers to support them you're doing that stuff and that stuff is ridiculously expensive and i never know how to equate the two yeah it's hard i mean luckily in this kind of model you know all of that effort is highly leveraged right because it would cost you outside of support a lot of the other stuff is is pretty much a fixed cost right like you could you could probably support 10 times the amount of users with your current product development roadmap realistically, short of bug fixes and stuff. It was the support side that kind of eats you alive as you scale up. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, great. Well, that actually brings it to one of my other questions then when it comes to churn, because I'm, I'm looking through this and I'm thinking, you know, you have this awesome page importer tool, but it's currently only available on your top two of the three plans. Is churn different on different plans? And what is your uh, reasoning behind that? Have you done any studies about like, you know, is churn higher on the bottom end because people aren't quite ready yet? Is Or is churn even higher on the bottom plan? Oh, yeah, definitely. Churn's much higher. I think we like we sell the plans two to one pro to standard and people churn twice as fast on standard. So is your theory behind that because maybe they're just sort of kicking the tires and maybe aren't really have an established business? Or do yeah, you think... I, I don't know about... Uh, I don't know whether they... It's a commentary on whether they have an established business. It's more like just where they are in the buying cycle like the the guy who's like you know seen the convertry demo or like you know maybe heard about it and is like seen one of our page speed demos perhaps is like oh i want this this is amazing takes one look at it buys the pro plan somebody who's just like stumbles across us doesn't know as much about us kind of just wants to like kick the app and is like what did i do is just so much more likely to take the standard and that guy is so much less likely to be sold for sure. I just half wonder if, you know, the page importer only being on the top two plans, if that would be a big key to getting people to actually implement. Because it seems like if you can get someone to actually use it for their pages, they're very unlikely to switch, really. And so I half wonder if, you know, if it's because of where they are in their, their buying cycle or if it's maybe just they're having a hard time actually getting going. And if that page importer, you know, I don't know, just throwing out ideas that maybe the page importer might help reduce churn if it was available on all plans. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what the main reason we don't make it available on the standard plan is our uh, we do an affiliate version of the funnel, which is a cheaper price for a year of standard. And then they so they buy they get 12 months of uh, the standard plan access, non recurring. And we throw in the page importer as part of that. And by not including it in the standard plan, we're on the main site, we're honestly um, like those people don't seem to convert very well anyway. It lets us offer it as a bonus in those affiliate funnels and makes the webinars just work so much better. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. So I was onto something. It's just <laughs> wrong funnel. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're absolutely we're, we're doing exactly what you're talking about, just in a different place. For sure. So it sounds like I probably already know the answer to this, but I always like to ask, how did you get your first 10 customers on Convertry? Sure. So um, my business partner and I have been in this this industry for like 10 years now. Uh, we know all the affiliate players. Um, we did. Uh, we, we basically started January 2015. Maybe I've got the date wrong. Anyway, we'll say it's January 2015. And then sort of by March, April like we had a, a a very like loose beta MVP and we, we knew enough people to like just start adding like them for free to try it out. And these were all the people that were going to go on and become our biggest affiliates. And then when we did the big product launch, we kind of went from like, I think about 50 guys kicking the tires, playing around with it, kind of liking it to selling, like we sold $750,000 of it in six days. It was one of the biggest blowout launches in our space of uh, of 2015 when we launched. So we kind of, I, I kind of feel like we blew past the 10 customer phase 
but with a little bit of luck and design there. Sure. I mean, having an affiliate network is great yeah, because it really you can really make things move in a hurry. Are affiliate promos still a, a big piece of how you drive new accounts? And then can you kind of describe for people who are considering doing an affiliate program, you know, what kind of commission structures make it a, a good incentive? How do you actually approach affiliates, manage affiliates? I mean, what can you really speak to that? Because I know that's a, a common question people have that maybe aren't as from the quote internet marketing space and more from the traditional startup space. It's something that they're interested in, but don't really necessarily understand. So if you can shed some light on that, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, sure. So uh, about half of our MRR is people through the front door. That That is to say they're buying one of the full price plans. They just show up. They might have, I'll talk about the two, two affiliate programs we have in a moment, but g- generally speaking, these are people that have shown up through word of mouth, not really an affiliate. They've heard about us somewhere, maybe seen one of our ads. They show up, they buy. That's about half of our MRR. And the other half comes from affiliate promos promoting this uh, far more like affiliate focused funnel that we do where that's so that's 297 for 12 months of standard plus some bonuses including the page importer and then we offer them as an upsell they get access to the agency plan for $97 a month then we downsell them pro for $37 a month and then so about 15 to 20% of people take the the agency plan off that maybe 5 to 10 take the pro off the downsell and then like we've got a whole year to keep mailing them and going hey why didn't you get on one of these recurring plans and then even if they don't about t- uh, 25 to 30 percent of people that still haven't got on one of the monthly plans then renew get on an annual recurring plan just to keep the standard at the end of that 12 months so that structure that like one one time price like it's not it's not lifetime but it, it's one time it's not going to recur uh sort of mid ticket 297 uh, for like quite a beastie piece of software that's a very affiliate friendly version of the offer like there's there's several other guys in my space like guys like videos who have their 67 dollars front end which is is one time for like 20 30 templates designer by paul clifford which uh, i think is something crazy like 27 dollars on the front end and the guy sold like fifty thousand units of the thing um so it's it's always about having this one time or pseudo one time offer on the front because affiliates know how to sell that in big volume I think what most people do wrong in SaaS is they're like, they, they see big companies like Aweber paying 25, 30% monthly and getting affiliates to promote them. They're like, oh, I'll just do that. Uh, that works when you're Aweber and you've got the brand value and you've just got all your customers talking about you. Like, you know, a load of our customers talk about us and promote the 30% just on the full price monthly plans. But that doesn't move the needle. That doesn't get a big affiliate to run a big promo for you. To put this in context, uh, we were the back end to a big launch for new sort of combined sort of SMS and email autoresponder company the other day. You know, they launched, they sold about four or $500,000 of product in a week. You know, two weeks later, we were their backend webinar and we sold 50K of Convertry in like a five-day campaign. And that's, that, that sort of thing's only possible because we have this very affiliate-focused one-time price, 297, like paying 50% commission, that kind of structure. Yeah, it seems like a good way to get, you know, 25 grand of money to to play with in the bank, you know, for ad campaigns or hiring another team member or whatever. But it's, it's definitely interesting that I want a lot of people to note that you definitely do even bump that commission as well. Because the whole point, I would assume, is those front-end conversions, just getting them indoctrinated and using a tool and uh, getting them to see the value, right? Is that is that probably the, the big thing to get them in quickly and, and in large volume? 
Absolutely. That like whatever the front end piece is, is always about lead generation. So I want people in using the tool. I want them trying it out because then then I've got a whole year to like persuade them how amazing it is, get them get them to upgrade to a different plan or get them to renew that plan. I've got options. The the guy who doesn't buy a tool, I just can't do anything with him. So having that great offer, we throw in a load of bonuses. It's just, it's a great way to move the needle. And in a way that affiliates just, they have this great understanding of how to shift that, like a marketing tool for 300 bucks, you know, no, no long-term commitment to recurring unless they sign up to one of those monthly plans, all the bonuses, stuff like that. Affiliates really know how to shift that uh, in a way that they just don't know how to shift, you know, a 30% commission on, you know, a hundred bucks a month sort of thing. Well, not only do they not necessarily have the experience to run those kind of offers that often, but at least my experience as someone who's been a beneficiary of a lot of, not a lot, but a handful of pretty successful affiliate promotions as well, you know, on the receiving end of it where the affiliates were promoting us, it sure seems like a lot of affiliates are looking for today money, not necessarily building their own large recurring base. So for them, the math, 50% at 297 with higher conversion rates is way more attractive than, you know, 20, 30, 40% of a product that might actually make them more money two years, three years down the road. Absolutely. I, and basically because uh, like the affiliate marketing industry is just full of scammers. And while like you pay your affiliates on time, I pay my affiliates on time, like affiliates and like product vendors in general don't. And so like anything that gets them their money now is great because they just don't trust the industry that, you know, in theory, we're going to pay them like, you know, 30% every month for the rest of forever. But there's been so many cases where product vendors have just been like, nope, we're canceling the affiliate program, no more commissions, we're just keeping that cash. The, they just don't trust it. Whereas something that's right now money, they have full control over. Yeah, unfortunately, it's one of those stereotypes that's grounded in reality. <laughs> yeah, big time. So you have obviously these successful software funnels. Do you do any paid training or tripwires or what other sort of sources of, of indoctrination or, or customer generation do you use within your system? Yeah, sure. So I'll start with the bit that's working because that's more fun to talk about. Uh, and then I'll talk to you about the embarrassing failures. We have uh, we sell a product called Quizitry, which is basically uh, quiz building software. That again, like I, I talked about, it's, it's a one-time price. It's not as it doesn't do as much as the the couple of our competitors on the market that do sort of monthly recurring quiz software, but it does plenty that for the like you know seventy bucks we charge them, it's a great deal. And then we we run paid ads at that. The ads break even, and then somebody who's buying quiz building software is just like it's just such a great lead uh, to then sell on Convertry. So that that's working pretty well for us. Uh, we get a fairly consistent flow of those those sales coming in and they're effectively free on the ad spend. Uh, then we have our plethora of lead magnets and squeeze pages and sending people to blog content. And none of it has worked yet at all. We, we have spectacularly set fire to a load of money on that stuff. Yeah, I always like to ask, you know, what campaigns have flopped? Can you, can you dive into that a little bit more about, you know, what you've tried and what you thought was going to work for sure that totally blew up in your face? I mean, those are the ones that that's where the growth and the learning really happens in my eyes. Yeah, sure. So we did we did one which was uh, like split test case study type thing. Um, so it was the lead magnet was, you know, see, see who won out of a bunch of split tests. You can apply it to your own marketing. We can that after maybe 500 bucks worth of spend and we had like a single opt in. 
we ran oh, i'm just trying to think now it's so my uh, just to be clear my business partner tends to be the one that runs like sets up and runs these funnels that's more his side of it uh so i'm not i, I know they failed i don't know a hundred percent the details uh let's see we ran a uh we ran quite a successful like demo opt-in funnel which was uh generating vegan leads so we we had got a simple vegan recipe but plr slapped our own branding on it uh just to kind of demonstrate that this stuff doesn't just work in internet marketing that that was really successful that that generated sort of you know uh vegan niche leads for a buck each that was great that was so easy to generate leads in a non-digital marketing market uh, a market that's not saturated and beaten over the head with the same tactics over and over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. Then we packaged that up, like put that together as a case study. We thought that'd be really interesting for people. It was not. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. There have been a bunch of other, we, we. Oh yeah, so we also we write a bunch of blog content and then we we drive paid ad traffic to that blog content to build a retargeting audience that we send at ConvertTree, and doesn't seem to be working just do, it doesn't seem to be it's either it's not congruent enough or i don't know like we're, we're bad at paid traffic man like we're, we're super good at affiliate and terrible at paid it's funny because you, you mean other people who are you know the complete opposite so it's it's always good to understand where your strengths and weaknesses are as an organization and a you know a history and a skill set so at least you can identify it but maybe it's one of those situations where you just find the right ad guy and hire them and say make us look smart <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so speaking of hiring an ad guy and uh things that failed spectacularly uh earlier the, earlier in 2018 goes about a year ago now uh we hired a guy for about th- three months like the whole experiment like his salary and ad traffic and whatever we spent about 30 grand on it uh, and i think we ended up with about 40 leads woof that's uh I think that 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 definitely qualifies as a spectacular failure. <laughs> oh yeah, like we're, we're, even our failures, we're great at. Yeah, I mean those those better be Glenn Gary leads, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's some like grizzled old salesman sat there going, "The leads a week, the leads a week." Only this yeah, time something like that. Cool. So I always like to also talk a little bit about the sort of psychology. How did you come up with the naming for your different plans? I mean, yours seem relatively straightforward, but. When you decided it, I mean, did you just throw something against the wall or write it up in a Google Doc and pick? Or or how did you come up with the names Standard, Pro, and Agency as your core product names? We're terrible at naming stuff. Just awful. We are like, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was literally like we spent a bunch of time brainstorming. It had no clue. We're like, ah, let's just go with that. It'll be fine. The... Uh, I mean, Convertry, as a, for example, um, as a name, I registered the domain years ago for a different project. We started building the project, like Convertry was going to be its code name. And then my business partner and I, like for weeks, we got together sort of like a couple of times a week, spent a couple of hours brainstorming, coming up with different ideas. And after about two months of just being useless, we were like, so we're calling it Convertry then. Um, <laughs> and, and the rest is history. Sounds about right. You know, um, I've got some products that, you know, they weren't, in hindsight, I wish I had picked a different name, but you know what? If customers identify with it and they're still buying it and it's successful, the name doesn't matter nearly as much. It, of course, it's you know helpful if it's short, easy to remember, easy to spell, all those kind of things obviously still apply. But I mean, look at one of your competitors, you know, even lead pages back in 2013. I mean, they couldn't even get the .com. They had a .net. So, you know, it's it can <laughs> it really kind of doesn't matter sometimes as long as the product is, itself can be compelling enough like in Virtry with unique things like page importers and yada, yada, that uh, people can get past the name, even if it's harder to identify with. Absolutely. Although if there is one lesson learned, it is 
don't use a name that is hard to spell. Every, everyone presumes it's convert tree, like tree, like a green leafy thing. Like I've lost count of the number of like events and conferences and webinars and interview calls where I've had to go over that like seven times. Do you own the version with E's instead of an I? Nope. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> see, to, to, to all you like aspiring SaaS people out there listening to this, see, you, you too can be just as awful as I am and still make a load of money. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, here in the United States, when uh, George Bush was elected president, his first words during his acceptance speech was, to everyone out there who gets C grades, I just have to say, you too can be president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's so me. Like, when it comes to marketing, I'm just like, I'm such this one-trick pony, like, I'm really good at affiliate stuff. Uh, and everything else, I just bumble from mistake to mistake, and it all seems to work out anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, you had success in spite of it, so that's great. Why don't we talk a little bit, at least briefly, I don't know how much time we need to spend on it, but you do offer monthly, annual, and two-year plans. I've noticed that you put the focus on your current pricing page on your one-year plans. What's kind of your thinking behind that? How often do you see people electing for monthly over a year or two-year? Do you have incentives beyond just price discounts to get them to those multi-year plans? Like, is there extra training if someone buys a two-year plan versus a one-year plan? Uh, so there's no there's no difference in what you get. You, you get the same the same thing regardless of whether you're monthly, uh, annual or biannual. The biannual is there pretty much purely as a as a price decoy. Uh, I mean, we we tested it out, and I think one guy has bought it once, and nobody else has touched it. Then we get kind of a sort of ninety ten split, I think, between uh, monthly and annuals. Uh, despite annual being the default, people seem to default to like they swap it to monthly quite consistently. Interesting. Um, so what is what is the actual price discount to go annual versus monthly? Like what percentage roughly do people save if they actually buy annually? Is it kind of the standard two months free or do you calculate it differently? Uh, so it's about 10% off. So I think it's so standards uh, 59 a month uh, monthly, 53 a month annual, I think. Uh, so around 10% off uh, for doing that. Gotcha. And so what we've already discussed earlier that your churn is higher on the standard plan, but what is kind of your average churn for a monthly user if, if monthly users are, are sort of your base? Sure. So I mean, the churn numbers is something I got like really fascinated about recently. It was after a call with Nathan Latka six or so months ago. And uh, just while, while we were like, I was talking about how how our churn numbers are weird and he said some really insightful stuff, basically. So we seem to lose uh, like about 50% of people who take the trial. It's sort of each of these numbers is more like sort of between 50 and 60%. I'll just say 50 to make the, the numbers easy. So we lose about 50% of people between trial. So it's 14-day credit card upfront free trial. So at the end of 14 days, they're, they're like billed for month one. So we lose about 50% of people um, during the trial. Then we lose sort of 50% of people between on month one and month two. And then month three hits and people just stop churning. And clearly some of them go, but it, it just drops through the floor. And we're pretty sure, as like Nathan pointed out, that basically those those people that churned in the early days were basically like the equivalent was they were paying for an extended trial that, or they, they just forgot and didn't cancel and never refunded. It's not like they, they never used it. They were never on our books. They were just they basically never happened. And some of them happened to give us a bit of money. And so like that, that tends to be how we look at it, that we're, we're trying to push those, like we constantly try and push those, those churn numbers up 
because our, our churn once somebody's in like month three onwards, they pretty much have to be using the tool at that point. Uh, the churn numbers from there are like low single digits monthly tops, probably not even that. Sure. I mean, I think 50% from credit card required trial to first payment is pretty standard. I'm kind of curious, though, for those who are churning for you in during the trial or during that first month, do you have any kind of recapture campaign where you ask them to come back and rebuy at a discount or like you know, if they were on the standard plan that didn't have the page importer, you know, offering them that as sort of the same bonus saying, hey, mate, you know, the only reason you would have quit is because you didn't get enough content in there to see the value and how fast it was. So now if you come back, you can actually use the page importer or, or, or anything of that nature to try to reduce your churn. Uh, not, not a great deal. We do sort of, there's, I don't think there's any automated sequences for that. That what we do is we move every, basically everyone that's cancelled, you know, stuff like that, or people that had that like 297 for a year deal and then never did anything after the 12 months, they all end up on this sort of like big people who left us list. And then we run, we run periodic offers to that list um, in quite a like generic blanket carpet bomb kind of way just like hey random guy who once used us and now isn't why don't you come back and pay us money here's a cool offer to encourage you gotcha and and are those relatively successful those to the people who've left i mean a certain percentage of those are probably like hey i left you and i don't really want to think about you again because that's just true of any business it's not that you did anything wrong but they're in a different state of mind their business has failed or picked a different tool or whatever so are you yeah, actually seeing results hitting that hitting uh, that old list? Yeah, like I mean, we we mail it because we can. Uh, we, we don't get that much out of it. It's a it's a very I, to the point. I don't even know the numbers, so it must be pretty tiny. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, hey man, this is all great so far. I want to kind of transition because you, you talked about you know it's been three years to get to fifty thousand, approximately fifty thousand a month MRR. As someone who has built software specifically, I understand how grueling and stressful this whole process can be. Do you have any words of advice for those people who are just kind of getting going or haven't hit cash flow neutral yet on their MRR numbers? Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd say probably probably the best SaaS advice is to go read sasta.com, but then make sure you tailor the advice to your industry and price point. So Jason is like the world's leading expert by just such a wide margin on this stuff. But the the model he really understands is funded high ACV enterprise deals. And for example, like in the in the early days, particularly so like 18 months, two years ago, I spent a lot of time trying to apply advice from that set sort of directly to my company without like doing a bunch of adjustments to understand, okay, like that advice is great when you're doing this. But in my case, I'm selling to like the S end of SMBs, very low ACV in MarTech, uh, which is just such a huge jump away from what Jason is used to selling. So I've got a lot better at converting that advice, like take, taking time to go, okay, like I see why this this advice applies to high ACV enterprise deals. You've got a sales team, you're doing like inbound, you're spending a fortune to get the leads, then they hit the sales team, all of that stuff in which just doesn't map when you're selling like in, in you know, when you're selling things like 50, hundred bucks a month, you, just, you don't get to have a sales team. You lose money if you do that. Uh, so understanding how those things map across uh, was super important for me. Uh, so that that's definitely the number one piece of advice. That and make sure you know that you're in this for at least two years before it's going to get remotely good. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of what I was was sort of really digging at is, you know, for someone who's maybe kind of in that, you know, pit of despair of being an entrepreneur and saying, man, you know, my, my costs are killing me and I'm trying to get this all figured out. I mean, what kind of things in those early stages, if cash flow is a problem or you know, you're hiring the right people is a problem? I mean, what things are kind of like non-negotiables that you have to keep in the toolkit and which things do you think are nice to have that maybe you can trim in the early days as you're trying to get to that number where you're, you know, cash flow neutral? Honestly, everything is a luxury that can be trimmed in the early days. You you need a guy that can build it and a guy that can sell it. And everything else is just this weird optional extra that so much of it you feel like you have to have because you've read about it on some marketing blog or you've seen that it was there. And I, I, I say that, sorry, I sound like I'm being critical of the person in that position. I'm being critical of the person in that position who was me three years ago. Like, you know, this is exactly what I did. Uh, and now I look back and it's just like a lot of the stuff we did was just irrelevant. And all, all that matters is build it as fast as you can and sell as much of it as you can. And nothing else matters. I absolutely agree. I mean, <laughs> Someone who has, you know, in the same shoes as sort of you a little bit earlier in the stage, you know, we've been building for several years. We've only been selling for a handful of months. It's easy sometimes, you know, for us with Campaign Refinery, a marketing automation tool, you know, it's easy to look at us spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on product development and comparing our feature set or well, the resources available to maybe a company that's raised $150 million. And so it's it's easy to think like, oh, we have to have all these things or we have to do this. And when we take a step back and we try to say, what is really the key differentiating feature set, right? For you guys, it was probably like a page importer was a a big ambitious goal that was expensive and hard to do, but you knew it was going to help set you apart. Focusing on those kind of items for what we're building, you know, for us, it's email deliverability, split testing, and it's conversion tools. And it's, it's that core feature set. It's not building a shopping cart, building a landing page provider, you know, that's, those are entire businesses. I mean, look, look at Convertry. It's an entire business of a landing page tool and so many other tools try to build everything and they've raised all this money. And so, you know, don't let yourself compare, you know, where you are in your business months year, or a few years in compared to a business maybe that's been around for 10 or 20 years with a lot more resources. It, it's kind of an unfair thing that's not healthy <laughs> in my mind to get you where you need to be. Absolutely. Like, you know, you, you hit a certain point with this stuff where, you know, I wouldn't say we're unkillable at this point. Like, I'm sure there are plenty of things that could, could finish us off. But it's compared to where we were like two years ago, where like it felt like you could like breathe softly on like the company it would just disintegrate. Now it's just this like a 50K MRR. I've got most of the key like role staffed. I don't do, have to do as much myself. I can focus on growth and sales or like building a cool feature if I want, uh, you know, if I'm bored of being the sales guy for a bit. And it's just, yeah, it's just like you can get to this point. And after that, it's, yeah, your competitors matter, but it doesn't really matter that much. You just have to serve your audience. And as long as you keep doing that, you're just not going to get killed. Sure, you're probably, you know, we're probably never going to be like a $10 billion company, but that's okay. Like, you know, we make great money despite that. Yeah, it's a great perspective to have. I just want to shine a light on that because it's easy, like I said, to compare yourself to others and realize that maybe, you know, even at a much lower MRR, you might be actually much more successful because you have a third of the staff or, you know, you don't know all the other numbers and challenges that come with different companies at different sizes that have been around for certain amounts of time. So for anyone who's in the early stages, don't get discouraged if you're seeing 
momentum because these things are kind of like a snowball heading downhill. Sometimes it takes a while to get going, but once you get there, it's a lot harder to stop. Absolutely. And, and the feeling is amazing that like it, it's harder, it would be harder to stop, like short of logging into the payment process and just canceling everything, like it would be harder to stop it than it would be to keep it going at this point. And that's just such a, it's just such a weight off my shoulders that I don't feel anymore. Like I, f- I feel the pressure to grow because I'm competitive. I don't feel the pressure to grow because otherwise I'm not eating tomorrow. So I'm glad that you talked about stress and and pressures of being an entrepreneur uh, and starting your own business. I always like to talk on this show about mental health and some of the struggles that entrepreneurs can go through when starting a business because it can you know have people to experience anxiety and depression, panic attacks. You know, personally, I, I've had generalized anxiety for over ten years, and it's something that some days I win that battle and some days I don't. Have you experienced any of that through your entrepreneurship journey? And if you have, or even if you haven't to the degree that you think it has been a problem, what things do you do to try to reduce stress, reduce anxiety, uh, you know, reduce kind of the negative talk as you've gone through this, this whole process? Sure. So I think it, probably the most important point I can start with is I'm insane. And I've been told this a lot. Uh, I've been in numerous, like, just hyper stressful situations and like I kind of freaked out a bit inside, but then it seems to translate into this weird like external calm. For example, a few years ago, I was a mate of mine who's he's just such a better person than I am. Um, he helps out with special needs kids uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, he was short. Uh, they they put on this event where they like they arrange it's sort of like for for teenagers to get them together. They, they've all got special special needs and mental health issues, and they they organise a clubbing evening for them because it's not the sort of thing they can go and do with their regular friends. Uh, so they get a chance to experience it together. And uh, he was short a couple of helpers. So myself and my girlfriend went along to help out. At one point, a guy uh, a guy collapsed and was like convulsing, having a seizure in the corner. Uh, and I was stood right next to it. And in my head, I was like, oh, my God, like, OK, I need to deal with this. Uh, and the guys afterwards were just like, you were so calm. Like, what was going on? And I was just like, oh, I just I, you know, I couldn't deal with it. So I went and fetched the other guy. And I don't say this in any way to brag. My brain is just wired weird. I, where most people have the voice in their head that says, don't do it, people might laugh at you. Mine says, do it, people might laugh at you. So uh, it's that, that's kind of my superpower that makes me good at this game, is I just don't care about those things uh, that other people seem to freak out about. For example, after, after we did the big convertory launch, we sold three quarters of a million dollars in six days. Like We finally had some cash after like scrimping for, for months. And PayPal put a hold on basically everything um, after paying like the all the affiliates, like instant commissions, the network, the broker, the this and that, like all the prizes, like all of the extra development stuff we did. Uh, I think we had about $288,000 in the bank and they put a hold on $280,000 of it and basically said, we're never giving this back. And yeah, like just it, those things that don't happen to normal people that aren't stupid enough to to start companies. I, I don't think people appreciate that these things are going to happen. But thankfully, my brain just seems to go, OK, we, you know, our job now is to just keep phoning PayPal and hassling them until they release that money. And OK, PayPal has an old to- you know, told me the paperwork I have to assemble in order to get them to do so. Uh, I think my brain sees it as just this giant resource management game. And I love playing games, so it's fine. That, that, that has noted, I'm insane. I'm not a good role model. <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean, but I'm, I am curious, even if you aren't 
conscious of some of the activities or habits that you have that may be helping you get through those without even realizing it. I mean, what are you getting plenty of sleep each night? Is is uh, cardio or workouts a regular part of your lifestyle or any of those things kind of true? Uh, I definitely, I definitely get my my eight hours. Like I refuse to. I used to be able to stay up till goodness knows what time. Now, like I'm in bed at nine p.m. I start my day at five every day. That's not because I read some blog post on how like you know you're, you're more productive at five a.m. I sleep when I'm tired and I and I get up and work when I'm awake. And at the moment, that's nine to like going to sleep at nine and waking up at five. But I I do swear by getting my sleep. I don't uh, I don't think it's healthy to to go long with missing sleep. Like I used to be able to do it for a while. Certainly at uni, like I could go like I could do a week on three hours a night, come crunch time. But like, I just can't do that stuff anymore. I'm useless. So I go to bed. Um, I think it's really important. Yeah, well, I mean, our bodies are very different at 19 versus 29 or 39. So it's, it's an important thing to respect as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Particularly like, particularly like hell, my, mine went from like 29 to 30 and just so many like bits jumped off a cliff, literally sort of 29 and a half. I could party till 4am, like drink a low, do whatever I liked and then get up and go for a run the next morning. 30 and a half hit. And like, if I stayed out past midnight and had more than like three beers, I was ruined for the whole next morning. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, God forbid you get the legendary two-day hangover once you that's when you know you're old you know if you if you <laughs> have something hang around for more than a day you're like man i feel like crap for two days but oh tell me about like i, I remember the first time that happened and i i don't think i can describe it without using some expletives so we're gonna gloss over it <laughs> fair enough what about caffeine intakes i know some entrepreneurs absolutely live or die on their caffeine intake is, is caffeine an important piece of your intake or in process or do you try to avoid it uh you it used to be uh then i weaned myself off it i was at one point drinking sort of uh four uh, eight to ten cups of tea a day and uh like one, one evening i was lying in bed i was finding it hard to get to sleep like my heart was racing a bit i was like this is rubbish like what's going on and like you know i looked at my lifestyle and i don't exercise as much as i could and like there, there's a lot of factors but that were kind of like low grade and then there was just like, dude, you drink way too much caffeine. So um, over the period of sort of two to four weeks, I gradually weaned myself off it, uh, got myself down, like sort of took away one cup a day pretty much until I got it down to having like one or two cups a day. And at that point, I discovered like I was just I was really off if I didn't have like a cup of tea in the morning and then a cup of tea in the afternoon. So I did a couple more weeks, just like two, two a day and then uh, did some more reading, discovered that human body can pretty reliably process 200 milligrams of caffeine a day and each cup of tea is probably 40 milligrams so i let myself have four a day but what was what's really interesting is now like a couple of years on from that i clearly like the ritual i'm no longer like addicted to it at all because like sometimes i wake up in the morning i haven't got any caffeinated tea bags and i just make myself a decaf and i i like the ritual and the hot drink it doesn't seem to change its ability to wake me up uh, it's, I'm just not dependent on it anymore. Yeah, it makes total sense. I, I gave up drinking caffeine back in 2013, but I missed the ritual more than anything. So I actually still make uh, what's actually called roasted chicory root, which is sort of like a coffee alternative. It doesn't taste as good as coffee, but as close as you can get being 100% caffeine free and going through the process of you know brewing in a French press because you do it all the same ways, you put all the same things in it. That to me 
got me, you know, about 80% of, of what I missed. So uh, it was definitely a, a solid alternative for me personally. Right, right. And that that's, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, like I just, I, for me, I'm pretty sure it's, it, it's like possibly 50% rich and just 50% hot drink in the morning. Uh, sometimes I wonder if I could just boil water and shove it in a cup and achieve the same result. But to test that, I have to drink like hot water in a cup, and that sounds really boring. Even my yeah, mind yeah. desire to experiment. At the very least, you got to put lemon or something in it, right? I mean, something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, hey, it's it's been a real pleasure having you on today, Andy. Is there a, a best way that people can follow up with you if they have additional questions afterwards? Yeah, honestly, uh, search for the Convertry Clubhouse group uh, on Facebook. Um, come, come and join us there. There's thousands of mostly users. Sometimes people are just curious about the tool. It's turned into this great community. But in the early days, my business partner and I, we wanted to try it out as a means for connecting with our audience. And I have to say, like particularly the first six months after the launch, it was just such a slog. Like there was there was very little engagement. There was just you know people with like bug reports and demands for features and just like it was pretty full on. And at one point, we nearly gave up on it. And I'm so glad we didn't because it's blossomed into this just amazing community of just awesome marketers. And often like a week will go by and I'll realize I haven't even answered a post in there because the other users are getting to it before I do. And I'm trying to get to it. It's not like I'm slacking off even. Like they're just, there's people all over the world using Convertry now. They hang out in the group and when they know the answer to something, they post it. Um, so I, I encourage anyone to come and check that out to see see why you should run a Facebook group with your SaaS and then like, but just t- take the lesson that you've really got to stick with it to hit that magic spot. Yeah, it needs to hit kind of a self-fulfilling, uh, self-nurturing size of audience of of your true fans. And as someone who's in there, I've definitely seen that engagement. And I'm, I'm happy to put a link to that in the show notes. If you guys are listening, just go ahead and check out the show notes and there'll be a link right there. And I know, obviously, you said Convertry offers a 14-day free trial. And bless your soul, you guys have natively integrated with Campion Refinery. So that makes me happy. Uh, so now people can get super fast page load speeds, cool page importer, and the best email deliverability possible. So sort of a, with our powers combined kind of joke, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely excellent. Well, hey, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. Hopefully, we can follow up again in the future. And kind of follow your journey, you know, three years to, to 50K, that probably means you'll be at, you know, 500K in the next three years. So uh, best of luck to you and your business. And thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me, Travis. Cheers.